0: So good morning, children are dismissed to Children's Church. It's great to see you here, either online or in the overflow. Last week we had a huge group in the overflow, and then in here this morning too, so thanks for being with us. Uh, I've been talking a little bit about how God cares about every detail of our lives and bring it to prayer. So this past uh, weekend I got the privilege of doing a wedding. I have 11 weddings between now and September, two I'm attending, nine I'm officiating, and a lot of them are outdoors. So I got to marry uh, my nephew yesterday down in Hudsonville. So on Friday we had the rehearsal, rehearsal at um, 11 a.m. And uh, my, my side of the family, there's lots of believers. Or my wife's side of the family, um, the bride's side of the family comes from a very unbelieving type, uh, family. Just a lot of doubts and scoffers. The bride accepted Christ I don't know, four or five years ago as they were dating and just a huge transformation in her life. So as we're going through the uh, rehearsal on Friday, afterno- uh, Friday morning, we're kind of talking about, and the father um, comes up to me. And he says, you're a pastor. You pray. It's going to be raining tomorrow. You need to start praying. I said, we've been praying. Um, when God will do what God does. And just had a conversation about it. I actually sat next to him at the rehearsal of dinner and just had a great conversation. But you could just tell he's like scoffing. So we get down to Zealand, uh, Zealand yesterday about uh, noon, about one o'clock it starts to rain, and it rained hard. We were shopping in, I think coals, and it was just poof <clears throat> hitting the ceiling and like oh this isn't good. We looked at the radar coming up from Chicago, rain, rain, rain. Wedding starts at five, so we get there 4:15. It's raining, and they're starting to come up with plan B. And then the daughter, not the one getting married, but the sister comes to me and she said, I thought you were praying, and I said we are praying let's see what happens. So 5 o'clock comes, all the guests are there, it's still raining, um, we decided to hold the wedding off till 5.30. 5.27, the sun pops out. <laughs> and, and, and where I stand, we're kind of back, we were at Post Family Farm, beautiful spot for a wedding, but we could stand, we're facing the east, and during the wedding there's a rainbow. And I got to tie in the promises of God with the wedding ring, and uh, just talk about how our vertical relationship with Jesus is so important. So God cares. I don't know what you're facing in life right now, but God cares. God cares. Just one more quick story. I, uh, Dave, I already took liberty. I knew it was him saying Sunday, so I'd have a little extra time today. Um, so <laughs> brace yourself. The sermon's a little bit longer, and a couple <laughs> stories here at the beginning. But uh, if we had the marriage summit and we had the uh, uh, the spring formal about a month ago. It was a great evening. Um, lots of requests to do it again next year, so I think that's going to come back. But if you were here for the Marriage Summit, if you weren't, you missed it. Um, if you were, Jack White was the middle speaker, and he, he gave a great testimony of, of, of God's faithfulness. But uh, one thing is, Jack and I, and uh, Pastor Secky were talking about what Jack was going to share. He told me a story that he would buy fuzzy, sticky hearts. And he would stick those around his home so that his wife would find them in different places. And she put one on her blow dryer like decades ago, I think he said, and it's still on that blow dryer. So I went out, Jack not knowing, and I bought 500 hearts. And we had people rip off some. And uh, um, as I was te- we were teaching, I said, take it home and put it somewhere so your spouse will find these hearts. Um, so, get home after that next Sunday, and the kids are like, did you find your heart? I'm like, no, I didn't find any hearts. And uh, I, all week, they, they had asked me. I never found the heart. Um, I get up to preach. Still didn't find the heart. It took me a couple weeks. On a Tuesday morning, I grabbed my notes, and I looked at my, my folder, and my wife had that Sunday already stuck a heart right on my notes. <laughs> and, and I tell, the, tell you this story. Um, one... Just spoke volumes to me because this is not a comfortable place for me up here. Um, Still learning how to preach and how to talk in front of people. Um, So that just like reassured me of her love and God's love for me. But two, um, if you've been through youth group in the last 12 and a half years when I was a youth pastor, um, there was a joke that I would get in pastor mode, okay? Like, like my kids, if they wanted to get a hold of me during a Sunday or a youth group, they would say, Dad or, or Ryan, and I would not pay attention. As soon as they said, Pastor Ryan, I'd be like, whoo I would turn and I would look at them. That was the only way they could get my attention and say, Pastor Ryan. And, and I thought about that. I mean, that's how I overlooked this for two Sundays. I get up here and I don't even see what's going on because I'm so focused on what I'm doing. But my heart is a pastor... God's growing me in the, in the teaching ministry, but I'm a relational pastor. And I want to be in relationship with as many of you as possible. So if I'm ever in pastor mode and I don't say hi as we're walking down the hall or, or I feel seem distracted, I apologize. But it's a huge burden on me that you come here on Sunday morning and you feel welcomed, that you feel loved. That this is a place where you can come and say, I met with God this morning. I met with people that love God. So hopefully, my pastor mode comes off as, I love you guys. So I just wanted to share that at the beginning. So if you've been at that marriage retreat, I hope you're finding hearts somewhere around. And if you have any extra hearts, I never got any that day. I would like a couple to put somewhere. (laughs) I wasn't going to steal my wife's, but but I enjoy getting them too much. (laughs) So I need to order my own, but uh, just a few things there at the beginning. So I want to talk about the next few Sundays, because some of you are leaving to head off to Grace Adventures and other places. We won't see you much this summer. So n- next Sunday is Graduation Sunday, which has been mentioned already. Oh, thank you. Yours or your wife's? Uh, you need to give them to your wife. <laughs> How many did you take? Okay, <laughs> thank you. She hasn't given them yet. <laughs> no. So next Sunday is graduation Sunday. Pastor Ryan will be speaking. It'll be a great Sunday. He's gonna be looking at a benediction um, to kind of talk over um, from God's word over the graduates. Then for two more Sundays, June 5 and June 12, we're going to continue into Genesis. Usually we start our summer series right after Memorial Day, but I'm running a little bit behind, and I really want to get through the Jacob narrative as close as I can. So June 5 and June 12 will be back in Genesis. And then also on that June 12, that will be our last day for our, 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 our spring Sunday school. So June 19 is Father's Day, And we're going to be starting a a series, um, um, uh, Psalms in the Summer. Um, And we're going to be walking through different psalms all summer. And we're super excited about it, as Dave and I have talked about this. We're going to be memorizing the psalm together. We're going to be studying the psalms. So that's coming up on June 19. We're going to start in Psalm 103 on Father's Day. I think there's a tremendous message there for fathers and for everyone else. And then on that same Sunday, on June 19, we'll start our Summer Sunday School, Um, a new round of classes for the adults, and then the children will break up like we usually do pre-K through uh, fifth grade. We'll be studying the parables of God, and then sixth through twelfth, Pastor Seki has some great ideas for them as well. So that's just what's coming up. I want to keep you in the loop as as, as you're heading off maybe somewhere for the summer, and that's where we're going to be going. But for today, we're in the eleventh sermon uh, in our series Patriarchs and Matriarchs, Walking the Way of Faith. The, the heroes and the heroines of our faith. So take your Bible and turn to Genesis 29. Um, we're going to be reading it in sections today. But as we've, as we've studied these patriarchs and matriarchs, we've been recognizing that they have had a call to follow hard after God. The one true living God. And God has revealed himself on their journey. As they as they journeyed along and followed him into faith... God has revealed Himself. And through them we get to understand faith a little bit more. And its ups and its downs, and the good times and the bad times, and the rise and the fall. We watch them fall and we watch them rise back up. And it's been an amazing journey for me to learn these lessons of faith. So last two weeks we've been in the Jacob narratives. There's 11 chapters that look at the life of Jacob and those surrounding him. And last week we learned that he was fleeing Beersheba for many reasons. And we'll look at that later again. And he was heading to Haran. And he was heading there to find a wife, but also to run away from his brother who wanted to kill him. And while he was fleeing Beersheba, he stopped in this certain place. This in-between space between the already and the not yet. And as you read through the chapter last week, it did get named um, at the end of the chapter. The name was Ur. But at that particular part in the chapter, when he stopped, it was this certain place. And he met with God. Because God is always willing to meet us wherever we are at. But especially when we can be quiet and we can rest. And so he was in this certain place. And I named it last week. I called it the liminal space. And we talked about that. So it's been interesting this week to talk to some of you about what you have named that space. Somebody said, I call it the waiting room or the waiting space. One that I really liked because we're in the middle of cross country and track and all these things is the middle mile. If you've ever run long distance, you know how tough those middle miles are at times. And sometimes when we're in that liminal space, that middle mile, it's tough. It's hard. But that's where God wants to meet with you. That's where you're going to find God. Well, in in that in-between space, Jacob has a dream. And he sees this staircase ascending from the ground up into the heavens. And on the top, there stands God. And God wants to meet with him. And he speaks with him. And he says, Jacob, this promise that I made to your grandfather and to your father and to the generations, this promise is now going to live in you. And it's going to continue on with you. And Jacob understood that and got it. But he's fleeing. Remember, he's running away. And God then says something in verse 15. He says, I am for you. I am with you. And I promise that. And he makes a specific promise to Jacob. And we watched that unfold last week. So today we meet with Jacob when he's about ready to enter into Haran. He's getting so close. And we will be reading this passage, like I said, in sections. So I'm going to pick it up in chapter 29, verses 1 through 14 to start. And I'm just going to read this section. You'll be reading later. So follow along with me if you want, on the screen or on your own Bibles. Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field besides it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. Say heavy stone. All right, remember that. It was a custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor, he asked? Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock now. Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight. Too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and the goats so they can get back out to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well as we water all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and the goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from his mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month. Let's pause right there let's pray. So Father, we began by reading the word of God here. Your words to us. They are true they are alive today, just as when they were written. So God, use them in our lives. Show us what you want us to learn from this scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. May I be out of the way so that you can be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Jacob now is in the land of his ancestors. He's safe away from his brother, and he's looking for, her, looking for a wife. He's looking for his wife among his father's and his mother's families. That sounds weird to us in this culture, but that's what happened in those days. So, this story is filled with heart pounding romance and gut wrenching disappointment. Say that with me heart pounding romance and gut wrenching disappointment. We will see in this story that God's presence is found in both of those positions in heart pounding romance and in gut-wrenching disappointment, in our hopes, and in our hurts, in our joys, and in our sorrows. So Jacob comes up to this well, and there's locals gathered there, and and their herds are waiting to be watered. And he notices as he approaches that the three herds are just kind of reclining around the wells. And, And the shepherds are around there too. And it puzzles him. He's like, why are they not getting water? Why, why don't you water your sheeps and goats so they can go back to pasture? It's early in the day yet. Because, and they share with them, it's customary that we wait. We wait for all of them to come so they can be watered. But there's another aspect too because that stone is heavy. Heavy stone. But as he waits and as he talks to the shepherds, he asks them, Where are you from, my friends? And we are from where? Haran, where he's heading to. That is exactly where we've been watching him the last two weeks. And then he's like, oh man, you may know a man by the name of Laban, the grandson of Nahor. The, the Nahor, his son Terah, who's the elder brother of Abraham. So basically he's, he's Jacob's uncle and he's related to him on both sides. Because we saw Rebekah, who is, Rebekah's father was Laban's brother. So it's, it's all tied together here. And they're like, yes, we know him, the shepherds replied. How's he doing? He's doing well. They're sitting at a well, so I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) He's doing well. And then, in fact, here comes his daughter Rachel now with the other flock. And at that moment, something happens inside of Jacob. He turns, and the camera moves in slow motion. He's stunned. There's wind in her hair. Her, her animals are beautiful. And he hears music come out. I Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And he wept aloud. That was some kiss for many, many reasons. But Jacob explains to Rachel who who he is. And she runs and tells her father Laban. So Jacob and Laban, they meet up with each other. And Jacob stays and he works for Laban for a month. And after, well, I thought about this too. How many young men have worked for somebody because there's some young woman there that they want to meet? Right? Right? Okay, so that he works. So so after, after that month, we get to verse 15. So pick up the story here. This is all background. I wanted you to hear it. Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay, just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I will work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. So the bride price. He worked for the bride price of Rachel. Rachel. But there's fascinating detail in this story, in this account. Leah is the older one. Rachel is the younger younger. No, yeah, the younger the one. And, and in the NLT, it says there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. The ESV says Leah's eyes were weak. The KJV says Leah's eyes were tender-eyed. The New King James Version says Leah's eyes were delicate. And I could go right on down the list because there's different descriptions in a lot of the versions. But every commentator and every Hebrew scholar that I checked with confirms that this phrase here has been hard to translate. You might even have an asterisk like I put here on the bottom uh, by the, this verse. And then on the bottom of it in your Bible says, the meaning of this Hebrew is uncertain. So they're kind of wrestling with what this looks like. But what we know is there's a condition with Leah's eyes. That there's something that can't be ignored with that part of her. Leaving us to wonder, is it physical? Something wrong physically? Are, are there cross eyes? Is there something going on there? Or, or, or maybe, as one commentator I read says, the, windows are, the eyes are a window to the soul, right? So maybe, maybe something's internally going on. Maybe she's struggling with depression or something else and it's just poured out through her eyes. We don't know, but we do know that it says in the NLT, she's lost a sparkle in her eyes. There's something going on here. We just don't know. But in contrast, Rachel was described as having a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And she was younger. And since Jacob was in love with the younger one, he makes a deal with Laban, and he decides to work for seven years before they could get married. And the text says those 7 years felt like just a few days. Ever had that experience where time just flies? It's awesome. But now there's a wedding and the plot twists. It's a week-long celebration and something happens at the wedding. Pick it up in verse 21, verse 20 through 25. Finally the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zipporah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. When he goes to sleep, he's hearing one kind of music. The heel grabber has now been heel grabbed. No one can go their entire life swindling, Tricking, deceiving, lying, and not having it catch up with them. Turn to Luke chapter 12, as Jesus is talking about some hypocrites, some hypocrisy in Luke, Luke chapter 12 verses um, two and three. We learn that sooner or later, everything will be brought to light. Whatever you think you're hiding, whatever you think you're not telling the truth of, it will be brought to light. Luke chapter two verses to two, 12. sorry, Luke chapter 12. Verses 2 through 3. The time is coming, this is Jesus speaking, when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted, say shouted, shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Jacob has met his match in Laban. One day you will too. If you are covering things up, are you, if you're living in a hypocritical way, it will be brought to light. Jacob has met his match with Laban. And at the end of the seven years, there's gut-wrenching disappointment for Jacob. So now listen to the conversation in verse 25 between Jacob and Laban. And Laban. Back in Genesis 29, verses 25b um, through Through 27. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off our younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, the week celebration. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Jacob? You can't have Rachel until you go through Leah. It's customary. Would have been nice if I knew that. (laughs) And you can sense the tension between the two of them. But as I studied it, it also raises tension in our own hearts, doesn't it? There is someone in your life, there's people in my life that I am called to love and it is hard. First of all I have is a spouse. It's not hard to love Stacy, <laughs> But there's examples in your life. Maybe it's a spouse, a fiance, a, 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 a friend, a, a girlfriend, a, a boyfriend, a son, or a daughter. Maybe it's somebody that's put in, God's put in your life, a family member, or a neighbor, or a coworker, your boss. Who is it for you that God has put in your life and you find it so incredibly hard to love? Every person that you are called to love in this world is made up some of Rachel, probably a lot of Rachel, and some of Leah. Rachel represents all these, the part of the person that is so attractive to you. They're fun. You desire that part of their life. You pursue it. You embrace it. You celebrate it. It's easy for you to love that part of that person. But in every person, there's a little bit of Leah as well. Leah represents everything you did not ask for. Everything that's not attractive, not easy to deal with. So there's this conversation I have with young couples as we walk, or old couples, when we're going through pre-marriage counseling. They're they're so in love, and they're blindly moving into marriage. And and she'll say something like, he's 95% okay. There's parts of him that bug me. I really love that 95%, but that 5%. It'll be okay, I'll work through it, I'll overlook that. Or they even might say, I'll be able to change that after we're married, and all the married people say, no. not going to happen. But the truth, there is, you cannot get Rachel without Leah. Sit with that for a moment. Think of that person in your life, the person that you are called to love. God's put that person in your life for a reason. There'll be parts of them that are hard, hard to love, but parts of them that are easy to love. Parts of them that are unlovable. How, how do you wrestle with that? What, what do you do? The way of faith. The way of faith. You can't just choose to love the part of someone or ignore them completely if God has put them in your life. You've got to wrestle through it. You've got to figure out what does this look like. Just got to give God what, help me, give me some insight into this part of this person. Because, because that's what God does with us, isn't it? God does just not choose to love the best part of Ryan. God loves all of us, with, our, with all of me, with my troubles, with my unresolved, and all my, un, uh, my, my struggling places. God loved us first fully. Romans 5, 6 says says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While there was no sparkle in your eyes, while you were not even worth pursuing, when you did not have everything perfect in your life, while you were weak, what did Christ do? He came for you. He came for me, and then he died for us. And look what the rest of that verse says in 7 and 8. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for us when we were perfect? No. No when we had eyes that were weak, that were darkened. So so, so knowing that fact, how does that change how you love yourself and how you love those people around you? It should. It should make a dramatic difference in that. We are called to love the people in our lives then to trust God with the unredeemed portions of their lives. If it's an unbeliever, trust God with their whole life. Don't judge them. If it's a follower of Jesus Christ, you can point out stuff in love and in truth, but then you trust God with that portion of their life and you continue to love them. God even called us as believers to love our what? enemies. We love because he loved us first. We don't talk bad about them. We don't slander them. We tell the truth in love. We leave it in God's hand. This is tiring. This is hard. It's messy. You're on a kamikaze run. You will run out of energy if you try to do it yourself. If you only love like a light switch that goes on and off, you're not loving like how God has asked you to love. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you then? Even sinners love those who love them. All of us can love those type of people back. Becoming a master lover means you learn to love the unlovable, the 5% that frustrates you. When you love people who you don't love, when you love people who irritate you, when you love people that are different than you, that stab you in the back, that gossip about you, that's hard. And it seems like an impossible task. But that's why we need to be in God's love. That's what we have going for us as believers, because it's not us loving that person, it's God loving that person through us. First John 4:16, in the new NIV says this: "And so we know and we rely on the love of God has for us." That's how a couple can say they're more in love when they're 30 years married than when they're first married, because they've learned to let Christ's love flow through them into their spouse. God's love flowing through us is how you love the Leah parts of people. Our love is infinite. Our our love is not infinite. It's like a pie. You give out a piece, you give out a piece, you give out a piece, and then what happens to the pie? It's gone. God's love is infinite. He can give out a piece, a piece, a piece, a piece, a piece, a piece, and a piece to you, and a piece to you, and a piece to you, and it's there all the time, right? And it continues to be a pie. And he continues to pour that out. Are you digging into God's love to love the Leah part of people in your lives? Well, what does that look like for you? First, who is it, and what does that look like? The church, as a whole, has to do a better job of this in the 21st century. The world, I've had so many conversations since becoming the senior pastor. They, 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 the world sees that the church only has interest in the perfect parts of people's lives. And we shun, and we reject, and we condemn, and we judge all these unredeemed parts the parts that are not attractive, the, the things that we don't embrace. What if we truly loved as a church to love? Love the whole person. not the Don't love the sin, and that's a cliche, but, but you love that person who's created in the image of God. To, and then let God work in that person in the unresolved spaces. I told somebody this morning, I said, I I get so frustrated. I'm still learning this whole preaching thing. I would love just to park it on that topic the whole time. And just just preach. And and one topic the whole morning. But God, we're walking through Genesis. So this story is not just about heart-pounding romance. It's about gut-wrenching disappointment. Not just Jacob, but for Leah and Rachel as well. They both experienced it. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he saw it. He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. Leah is not loved by Jacob. Rachel is. All through the rest of the Jacob narrative, we see uh, Rachel being loved. But guess what Rachel does not have? A baby. Rachel could not conceive. So here we go again, we're in the third generation from Abraham, every generation, barren, 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 she has everything that she wants, according to Leah, because she's loved, but she does not have a child. Rachel has to look every day into the face of Leah, who cannot stop having babies. Even though she's not loved by Jacob, she's having babies. Verse 32. She has a son by the name of Reuben, which she named I Am Seen. This is Leah. Jacob, see me. I just produce your son. See me. And she has a son in verse 33. Simeon, I'm heard. Jacob, hear me. Pay attention to me, Jacob, please. And she has another son, Levi. I'm attached. I want to be so badly attached to you, Jacob. Rachel has your attachment. I don't. Please pay attention to me. And then we get to verse 35. She has a son by the name of Judah who should ring a bell. We'll study about him as we move forward. And this is what it says. Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children, at least for a chapter. We'll pick it back up later. (laughs) She's now content, at least for a while. We we don't get an explanation of why that stopped, but she's reached the point where she can say, now I will praise the Lord, even among her gut-wrenching disappointments. What will it take for you, among your gut-wrenching disappointments, to say, I'm content with you, God. Now I will praise your name. What does that look like? So we see this jealousy between Leah and Rachel played out in Genesis 30, 1 through 24, we don't have time to read it all. But there's tension between Rachel. There's tension between Rachel and Leah. There's tension between, between Leah and Jacob. There's tension between Rachel and Leah. And even the kids and the servant ladies get drugged into it. Their jealousy, their war affected a lot of people. It still does today. So Leah, Rachel and Leah are in this excruciating trap that we call the comparison trap, where they are not able to recognize the thing that they have been given. Rachel is deeply loved by her husband and has no babies, and Leah desires that love, but has babies. And they both cannot seem to see what they have at that moment, only what they don't have, what they're missing. We know about this comparison trap, don't we? When we look at someone else's blessings and we, are, we assume that if, if, if our life would just have that blessing, we would be okay. If our life would just have what that person has, oh, then life would be great. That's a lie. That's deception. When we compare our lives to somebody else's life, we are doomed. Both of them have amazing things happening in their life that they don't want to see it. What is God doing in your life that you can't even see because you're comparing it to somebody else? It's think about that. Both of them would have traded place in the heartbeat with each other, but that's not God's plan for them. It's not. That's not God's plan. We'll get to that in a few minutes, and we. we we see this. I have so many examples as I was looking this week through Scripture, where we see people comparing themselves to each other. But turn to uh, turn to John twenty-one, John chapter twenty-one. Just one example here because of time. So Jesus is with Peter on the beach. He's been resurrected, showing up to all his disciples. And then he says to Peter, There are a few things that I need from you. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And then what does Peter do? He looks over his shoulder and he says, What about John? (laughs) You're speaking to Jesus, who's just giving you your mission, and you're asking, What about John? It's not fair. You're asking me to do this, and John can stay on the beach and go fishing. What? But look how Jesus responds in verse 22. It's powerful. I put this on the front of your bulletin. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, what does it say? Follow me. Our only focus, church, has to be what Jesus is calling you to Don't worry about what he's calling somebody else to. What is God calling you to? Who is God calling you to love? That only you specifically can love. If I love that person, it wouldn't mean that much to them. But if you love that person, it meant a lot to them. You're the only one that can show that person the love of God. Even the Leah parts of them. Right? What's our job? We have to what? Follow God. Jesus. I didn't hear you. Follow Follow Jesus. Jesus. And it's it's not something to take lightly. We have to follow Jesus. What a lesson for us. So even though Rachel and Leah would have traded places with each other, let me finish up with this. It's important for us to pay attention to where their lives ended up, okay? Look at verse... Chapter 30, verse 20. Let me go back to Genesis. Oh, it's up here. Chapter 30, verse 23 and 24. Talking about Rachel here. After all this tension between everybody, she became pregnant, as did her generation and generation, and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. Joseph, the boy who a few years later would would be get beat up, he'd be sold into slavery by his brothers, many years later a famine would come, the whole family would have to go to to Egypt, Joseph is in a place of authority, and he cares for his family, and his mother was who? Rachel. Sooner or later a pharaoh rose to power that did not know Joseph, that didn't care. He turned all the people of Israel into slaves for 400 years. God then raises up another deliverer, and his big sister puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River. His name is who? Moses. Moses. Guess who's Moses' matriarch is? Leah. Leah, not Rachel. And then Moses takes the people out of bondage across the Red Sea into the wilderness for 40 years. He gets so, so close to the promised land. Like, you can feel the promised land and what does God do? He says, you're not going in there. He raises up another leader and his name is? Joshua. Joshua's matriarch is not Leah, who is it? Rachel. Many generations later, Rachel's offspring is Saul, the very first king of Israel. But his kingship is cut short and God brings in who? David. the the second king whose matriarch is Leah and it's from David's generational line that a child is born many centuries later that's going to be the savior of the world but it required both Rachel and Leah despite Rachel and Leah's inability to recognize their dysfunction God used both of them to carry out his salvific plan. Even when they couldn't see it. What is God doing in your life? Oh, I'm just here in Hart, Michigan. He's going to use you. Get your eyes off somebody else and get your eyes on what God is calling you to do and follow Him. But, I'm, but, 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 I, but I've got gut-wrenching disappointment. God knows it. He cares about every detail of your life. He's organizing your life he can take where you mess up and he can redeem that and point it in a different direction. I love, we shared this verse a couple of weeks ago, but Romans 8 says this. Let's read it with me. We know that in all things God works for the good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. I love that word all. If your version has that word, circle it. Some versions it says everything. Rachel, I know you're disappointed in being barren. Leah, I know you're disappointed in not having Jacob's love. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And you right now, God is working in you. He's calling you to be faithful, to walk the way of faith and see where this journey goes. There's going to be people in your life there. you be like, I got to love that person? Yes. He's called you to that. You might have to point truth out, but you do it in love. So I got a few application things here at the end. First, what needs to be brought to light in your life? If we're going to follow hard after Jesus, what's got to be brought out in your life? What sin are you hiding? What hypocrisy are you covering up? it will be exposed. Guaranteed. Jesus' own words. What needs to be brought to light in your life? Number two, are you letting the love of God flow through you to the people God has called you to love? I asked you earlier, think of the name. Who is that person right now? Who is it? Number three, do you focus on the Rachel or the Leah parts of the person? I so quickly look at the Leah parts. Honestly, I do. I've got to focus on the Rachel parts. Number four, what parts of your life need to be redeemed by God that would make it easier for others to love you? I'm turning it around here. What's your 5% that's unlovable? Are you willing to lay that at the altar and say, I'm going to follow you, God, with that part of my life? Why don't I have friends? Do an internal survey. What's going on? What's God calling you to change? And number five, have you ever accepted the love that God has for you? It all comes out of the relationship with Jesus Christ. At the wedding last night, I didn't know how much time. I thought maybe we'd get dumped on in the middle of the wedding. So I talked right away. I did a groom's challenge, and I said, Your vertical relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. You get that vertical relationship right in your horizontal relationship. So there's still going to be issues, but you can, love like you, you can love your new bride that way. Have you ever accepted the love of Jesus Christ? Honestly and truly, have you ever come to the point, and you said, we sang about Calvary, like three songs today. Jesus went to the cross because he loved you so much. He died for you, even when you had weak eyes. When you're sinners, he died for you and he loves you. Don't walk out of here this morning without giving your life to Jesus Christ and accepting what he accomplished at the cross on Calvary. Let's close in prayer. So Father, I just feel in my spirit that there's people in this room this morning that can take all five of those areas and, and maybe apply all five to their life, maybe two or three sections. But God, most important, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior. And I just, I'm just going to pause. I'm going to ask you to work in their life right now. You've been drawing them to yourself, and today is the day for salvation. So, Father, I pray that they will admit that you're the, Father, the, the, the God who loves them so much that they sent Jesus because they were a sinner. And because they were a sinner, they are separated from you. But because what Jesus did on Calvary, that relationship can be restored and renewed. Father, may that be the heart prayer of somebody in this room this morning. May they, may they pray that prayer of salvation and then follow after you. In your name we pray. Amen.